Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.
Reading from the fourth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, chapter 6, text 44. Yeah? Tameva Dharmarta Dugabi Pataye Tameva Dharmarta Dugabi Pataye Dakshina Sutrena Sarjita Dvaram Dakshina Sutrena Sarjita Dvaram Vai aiva loke vasitas chasetavo. Vai aiva loke vasitas chasetavo. Yam brahmana shradhati drita brata. Yam brahmana shradhati drita brata. Vami Vodar Marta Dugabi Pataye Dakshina Sutrina Sarjitat Varam Vayaiva Loki Vasitas Chasetavo Yam Brahmana Shadhati Dritavrata I'll read the word by word. Tvam, your lordship, eva, certainly dharma, artha, dhugha, benefit derived from religion and in economic development. Abhipataye, further protection, dakshena, by daksha, sutrena, making him the cause, sasarjita, created, advaram, sacrifices, Vaya, Vayo, Eva, certainly, Loke, in this world. Avasita, regulated, Cha, and Setava, respect for the Vanasham institution. Yan, which, Brahmana, the Brahmanas. Shadadate, respect very much. Drita Vrata, taking it as a vow. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. My dear Lord, your Lordship has introduced a system of sacrifices through the agency of Daksha, and thus one may derive the benefits of religious activities and economic development. Under regulative principles, the institution of the four Varnash and ashrams is respected. The Brahmanas therefore vow to follow this system strictly. <laughs> 
Please repeat. My dear Lord, your Lordship has introduced a system of sacrifices through the agency of Daksha. And thus one may derive the benefits of religious activities and economic development. Under irregulative principles, the institution of the four varnas and ashramas is respected. The brahmanas, therefore, vow to follow this system strictly. Purpurchula Prabhupada says the Vedic system of Varna and Ashram is never to be neglected. For these divisions are created by the Supreme Lord Himself for the upkeep of social and religious order in human society. The Brahmanas, as the intelligent class of men in society, must vow to steadily respect this regulative principle. The tendency in this age of Kali to make a classless society and not observe the principles of Varna and Ashram is a manifestation of an impossible dream. Destruction of the social and spiritual orders will not bring fulfillment of the idea of a classless society. One should strictly observe the principles of Varna and Ashrama for the satisfaction of the Creator. For it is stated in the Bhagavad Gita by Lord Krishna that the four orders of the social system, Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, and Shudras, are his creation. They should act according to the regulative principles of this institution and satisfy the Lord, just as different parts of the body all engage in the service of the whole. The whole is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and his Virat Rupa, or universal form. The Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, and Sudras are respectively the mouth, arms, abdomen, and legs of the universal form of the Lord. As long as they are engaged in the service of the complete whole, their position is secure, otherwise they fall down from their respective positions and become degraded. Om Adhyana Timirandasya Jananjana Shalakaya Chatsuram Gitam Jena Chasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Mukam Karu Diva Chalam Sangum Nagayate Gurum Yatripa Tamaham so I do have personal experience of what it's like to be disconnected from the Varnashram system and connected again. And it happened just as I was living Brahmachari life making a transition, as they say nowadays. We didn't have any transitions. It was more or less blooping. That was, that was the only transition available at the time. And it was, um, I did consult with my spiritual master as I was performing the duties of uh, Grihasta, but while situated in the Brahmacharya system. So I was a little puzzled for, for years, I've been running my own centers and managing both men and women, even Sankirtan groups of just purely women and paying mortgage and dealing with banking and having my own car and a credit card and no one to respond to. So I was basically a grihasta without a wife. So I, I was, um, I was not uncomfortable, not totally uncomfortable, but I thought this is, this is wrong. There is something wrong with this picture. I shouldn't be doing this kind of duties as a brahmachari it's because a brahmachari basically has, well, supposed to have a duffel bag with all his possessions and no credit cards and no attachments in general. So. I had whatever I wanted. I traveled to India or to Europe or wherever I wanted and I didn't have anybody to... Um, the brahmacharis basically are the, the golfers of, of the rest of the society. You know, go do this, go do that, fill out this spot, this, you know, go cook this offering, you know, 
go there, travel in a, in a windowless van in the winter to Minnesota and distribute books and some tractor pull uh, event and so on. So the brahmacharis basically obey and do that. Um, but I didn't have that kind of situation. So I, since I didn't want to uh, be a grihasta, even though I was, without the, without the uh, accoutrements of it, I, I asked if I could switch my indumentary to black instead of saffron or white. Um, and uh, my guru said, well, there is no fifth ashram. You should know this. And I give you my blessings to be a brahmachari or a grihasta, but nothing in between. There is no, there is no fifth. There is no fifth leg to the cat. The cats have four legs. And Varnashram had four divisions, uh, socially and four divisions spiritually. So I, uh, I decided, okay, because I, I'm not fit, really not fit to be a brahmachari, even though I was quite strict and uh, I never had any, any problems, I uh, decided to get married. Now, up until that point, I felt... Um, like my preaching didn't have a serious impact in the sense of, you know, you see sometimes a boxer that is just, you know, really expert and he's just going around the other boxer and, you know, but doesn't have a knockout punch. You know, just, it's like shadow boxing. He's just going around and throwing punches and but nothing happens. The other guy doesn't fall never gets really hit. So that's what I felt about my telling others about Krishna consciousness and my, my preaching didn't have any uh, knockout effect. And I had experienced the opposite as for many years, uh, wherever I, I went, I was very forceful and determined and I studied quite a bit. And so the my my words had an impact, but not at, at, at this point. So when I decided to make the transition, uh, as soon as I made up my mind, then uh, the next day I went out and set up a table at the University of Santa Barbara's, uh, University of California in Santa Barbara, with books. And, you know, people, as usual, they stop, they talk, Usually never happened, but I was like like a tiger. I felt I had the power. People stopped, took books, you know, agreed with points that they wouldn't have agreed before. So I um, I called back my guru and said, you know, this is why I experienced. He said, yeah, that's that's your that's your energy source. That's your electricity. You just plug in back into the Varnashram system. So you, you should feel the current going through, through your body right now. So this is, uh, this is a system that is not some social, some social worker or some bearded philosophers created in, you know, in the hazy nights when, when they were out of opium and cigars and alcohol. This is actually something that Krishna created So this is, this is actually the Varnashram system created by Krishna himself. So if you are not in the Varnashram system, um, then you're out of the game. There's, you, you can't play. You're out. You're a, a pariah, an, ex an exile person. And your connection with Krishna will be manifested through any of these um, four social and four spiritual uh, positions. However, there is a division within them, and the division is that the brahmanas are the intelligent class. So those who are in positions that are not brahminical, because brahmanas basically they, they teach and they study. 
and they distribute charity. And those are more or less the functions of Abramas. They, they perform austerities, everything they do is within those parameters. And the other classes, some are just workers. They just, you know, work is worship. Uh, for them, for some, some of them, if they don't work, they go crazy. You can see people that uh, work all their lives and then eventually, because of social security, because of the system of democracy, they retire and they go crazy. They go crazy. They just know what to do. So they set up a shop in the garage or, or they, they volunteer for certain causes, but they cannot stop working. They are sudas. They need to engage. They need to physically engage in labor. And if they don't, they just um, cause havoc to the family, to the friends, to everybody. Um, a friend of ours, uh, his father, who was a dentist, he, he passed away, he was in his 80s, very recently. And he was still, I mean, he, he had a bad hip, and he, but he walked to work, even though he had no, no customers anymore, basically. He just, at least just to get out of the house and pretend that he was still a dentist. Sometimes he did some certain things um, but he he needed to to be engaged and devices devices are always selling um, we have some examples somewhere and people are always selling there is their nature they they need to sell and the tendency is towards persuasion seduction convincing others about their product or someone else's product, and I do have a little streak of that. Uh, my wife says sometimes we go to a thrift shop and I find something that I think is perfect for her, and she said, no, I don't like it. Then I try to convince someone else to buy it. This, this is how we, uh, you know, does the streak manifest. You just, you just want to sell no matter what. It's your nature to, to do that. And then there is the kshatriyas, and the kshatriyas are, of course, let me clarify that nowadays, in this particular ambient society, milieu, there are no pure shudras, I mean, most people are shudras, but they are not pure because the shudra is supposed to work for the benefit of society, and the shudras, so-called shudras nowadays, they work just to benefit their families and their bellies and genitals. So, on the, on the vices, they're supposed to feed society, and they don't do that. They just, again, they just all for themselves and for the inner circle. And the kshatriyas, who are supposed to defend society um, and manage society, don't do that. Don't do that. They basically, they just want prestige, or they just want to have a position with the federal government so they don't have to work. They eventually, they retire with a hefty pension and they get the, the, the prestige and, and the money and they don't defend society and, and it's very important for those who are kshatriyas or descendants of kshatriyas or have the tendency of kshatriyas, those who want to fight, those who want to manage, to listen to the brahmanas because the kshatriyas are more intelligent than the other classes, but they're not more intelligent than the Brahmins because they have many material attachments. And this may manifest in a very gross way by wanting to get opulence, um, by wanting to get power, by wanting to get prestige. Or they may manifest a little more subtly by wanting to be liked by others, by wanting other people to follow them. This is, but this is all basically uh, different variations of the same theme, which is lust. Lust manifests in many ways, gross and subtle. And this is the eternal enemy of the living entity because why is the eternal enemy? Because we're always fighting with it. The, the battle never ends. The demigods and the demons eventually get you know, thrown into the Mahatattva, but lust just bounces back and starts over nefarious work. So the idea of uh, the 
varnas is that they are dependent, they're interdependent, they depend on each other, but for advice, they depend on the Brahmins. Vibrasi Brahmins don't have an agenda. They just want to do good for others and good for the rest of society. So they basically teach and preach and have no other business. They don't have, want to make a profit. They don't want to be famous. They don't know anything. They don't want any riches. And they just want to uplift the rest of society, which is convenient for them as well, as well as everybody else. And then there is the spiritual side of the Varnashram system, the ashram. And we do have that in our society, which we keep saying this cliche that you know we need to uh, develop the Varnashram system. But we just need to develop the Varna, because the ashram is already there. There's already brahmacharis, grihasas, vanaprasas, and sannyasas. Now, the, the neglected class, I would say, is the vanaprasas. But now, we can see that this, this is a time, 50 years after the movement was brought to the West, that this class will become very important if it is developed properly, because they're uh, mature, smart, and they have plenty of time in their hands and experience. So this is a class that will help the movement spread. Not necessarily, um, I mean, I'm not taking credit away from the other classes, but this is, this is a class that is poorly understood and many times misused. This is the, the Vana process are the ones who have no more um, familial business. There's no more romanticism in their life. They're done with the kids and the, and the lovey-dovey stuff. And they have time. They have time to preach. They have time to cultivate others. They have time to uh, bring up the children in Krishna consciousness, which is everybody. It's, it's not like uh, we are all adults. Children, spiritually speaking, because we just started. No matter how long ago you started practicing devotional service, if you see, uh, the, if you read the Chaitanya Charitamrita and see how devotees do behave and do think and do act, then you can think, oh, well, I have a long way to go. It's just, a, just a, some amateur basketball player looking at an Olympian. It's like, how am I going to get there? It's just such a distance. So we all need to help each other. And we all need to do it according to the function and the position that we occupy in our society. So today is the disappearance of Shilanarotam Das Thakur, a great Acharya. And as he is in the Parampara system before Vishwanatha Chakravarti Thakur. And we should say a few words about him. But first, if you would like to um, first bless me, which I forgot to ask for, but it's always time to, um, and enlighten me or help me by asking questions or presenting comments or reflections, please do so now. Thank you, Prabhu. I've been actually thinking about this point a lot lately, that um, you know everything has its own dharma, its own natural course of things. The seasons move a certain way, the body has a dharma, people interact according to the, the rules that Krishna has given them. And um, it's an eminently sensible idea, and it's, there's like a mountain of evidence for it. And yet somehow or other we live in a time where that's really considered old-fashioned and um i'm sorry what's old-fashioned what actually considering that there is such a thing as a nature to things is considered old-fashioned or even speculative because there's so much i mean i'm speaking from the perspective of you know 2020 north america raised like the way i was in, in canada or the states and it's just this very um this particular window of time and place is very much about 
you know, carving your own path and being uh, proud of that. And, you know, like, I did it my way. That whole, that whole mood just pervades. And um, it's, it's actually like so present that it's unquestioned, in my, in my opinion, in a lot of places. At least it was in my life before I started practicing Krishna consciousness. And even when I started practicing Krishna consciousness, I was, uh, you know, I was living in an apartment and I was not associated with women, so I didn't have a, the Grihastha thing going at all. But I'll, at the same time, I was independent, so I was, you know, yeah, I was like this fifth, fifth kind of category thing, which is natural to begin with. But then I had my own realization that I really, yeah, I should plug in somewhere, get that electrical charge you're mentioning. And I just wanted to see what you think about how, how can we, how can we impress upon people that um, reality really is already working according to rules, you know? And um, it's, not it's not a restriction. It's not artificial or restrictive or oppressive to plug into a system of social dynamics. It's not, you know, it actually like saves you just so much time and energy and gives you, gives you back so much more than you put in. I've, I really feel like this is... Um, both socially and ultimately spiritually, because we have our spiritual dharma too. We ha we're meant to serve. And if we don't do that, we're just trying to swim against an impossible current. I really feel like there's so much um, there in that particular lesson that reality already has a dharma. Everything already has its nature. Stop struggling so much against it. Try to understand it and try to work with it. How do we impress that upon people? At least socially speaking. Um. That's a very good question. Well, the, the rules are there for, uh, for guidance, not for interference. So, and, uh, and it's not bad. Like imagine if you just started your vehicle outside and all of a sudden there were no stop signs, no lights, no rules, no, no division in the road. Yeah? Yeah, it would be like India, true. But, but people wouldn't be Indian, so they wouldn't be used to driving you know, in, a, in a mad mad way. So it would be impossible to, to get to a destination without serious harm. There will be an accident. So the rules are... Uh, one may think, well, you know, I don't want to follow that many rules. <coughs> but you cannot even make bread cannot pour hot water and then yeast in the water because the yeast will be killed. If you, you cannot put cold water and yeast because the yeast won't rise. You cannot put just water because even, even warm water because you have to put some kind of agent that yeast can feed on, like molasses or sugar or something like that. So there are rules you know, to make bread what to speak of the rules for behavior and how to accommodate your place within society for your own happiness. This is, this is actually something that the sages, Krishna and the sages, have done homework for us. You can actually look it up. You don't have to rediscover everything. This, this is very childish of us to think, you know, don't tell me. I, I, I can do it on my own. This, so this is our present society as you describe it. Don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me what I have to do. I, I'll figure it out by myself. This is like a child that you try to teach him something. Say, don't tell me. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'll figure it out myself. So how, how can you inculcate this into uh, individuals? Well, you have to make sure they're grown-ups first. Uh, first of all, that they're spiritually awake to a certain point. As Prabhupada said, you know, you can wake up a sleeping person but not someone who's pretending to be asleep. So, um, I've, I've seen some debates where um, one of the participants refused to listen to the other one. He was just making his arguments without listening to the other one. So, how can you, even if you make the perfect argument, it won't work because the other person is not listening. So we have to find people who are not just trying to win. 
just trying to get ahead, just trying to declare victory like our fearless leader <laughs> two nights ago declared he was the winner, <laughs> even though the polls were still out. This is, this, is a, this is a sign of childish pride. So this is the, we, are, we are actually advised to teach Krishna consciousness to the innocent. So that is, is our mistake if we waste it on those who are inimical, unfavorable, or deaf, or argumentative. They just want to argue. They want just to show you that they are more intelligent than you. So how can you convince the, the whole of society? I don't know if there, is, if there is a formula to this. I mean, there is a formula in the Gita, Yadyala, Charati, Shristas, whatever great people do, others, commoners, follow. But what is a great person? How do you define a great person? Nowadays, someone who can sing and move their hips, you know, from Elvis time up until now, and that hasn't changed. Uh, or someone who is famous for being famous, <laughs> like Paris Hilton or, or, or the Kardashians. They're famous not for any quality or, or for any noble reason, just because they're famous. Because, or what they're called influencers. And in, in the media, like YouTube, someone has lots of followers. So apparently having lots of followers is, is a sign of advancement. But the lemmings have a lot of followers. They end up dying, jumping on a cliff. So we have to find. Um, we actually actually read. We have to actually kind of erase everything, demolish the the status quo and the current events of society, and make people appreciate what is actually worthwhile, noble, dignified saintly qualities because that's yeah the only hope for this world is that um, people will actually start to understand admire follow devotees and devotees will actually become pure that's that's the only hope for society that devotees become pure and people actually notice and serve them imitate them just whatever, whatever form we can present Krishna consciousness, but it has to be done with a little bit of effort on our part and sincerity on their part. Is that okay? Yeah. That, that's all I have. To add to this subject, Unala Devi, she is almost done writing this book on Varna. And I actually think that most people are open to it if it's presented in a certain way. And if we present it as a class-based society, simply that way, then what people will recollect is, say, the caste system in India. But when we approach it in a way that you'll see, actually, a lot of people are interested in personality analysis. There's all these different personality tests. And when, when you take the test, it's a, lot, a lot of it's just pointing to nature. And so Ramala Devi's book is about Varna, and it's really pointing to people's nature, their, their psychological nature. And so I think that when we read these things in here, we're thinking, oh, it's a classless, or it's a class-based society. So we think of it as like each person gets put in their place, but instead of seeing it as like the Brahmana's role is to actually observe someone's nature and then based on what their observation is about someone's nature, they guide people accordingly. What do you think about that, Prabhu? I think it's uh, part part of the job. Um, 
to just determine what nature people have is, is just half, half of the thing. The other half is that a person with that nature will be willing to undergo the purification that takes to make that nature into the spiritual. Because you may have a particular nature, but may be plagued with the modes and may not be useful at that point. Just like somebody comes to the movement and you know has a particular nature tendencies, but they can't be engaged immediately into whatever nature they have because they haven't undergone any purification. Just like uh, in the Bhagavad we read that such and such, they wanted to have a child, but they didn't have a child. They actually went to the Himalayas or to a solitary place and they practiced austerities for a long time to purify themselves from all the lower desires so they could produce a child according to the specifications that they had in mind. So, yeah, the Brahmanas should find what the nature is on, uh, on the rest of uh, the devotees, but unless the devotees are willing to purify themselves, they will be uh, betrayed by their senses and their lower tendencies. So I think, yes, it's, it, what he said is correct, but with a, a specific instruction that it's, it's not free and it's not easy and it's not immediate. Uh, but the Brahmins should do that and, and the rest should, should obey. It's okay, well, we are not ready. Like for example, when I, when I joined the movement, there was no question of giving class without being a Brahmin. I mean, it was way back then. So, but I, because of, I was literate, because I, I, I was very well read, and I could speak in front of people without shaking and blanking out, I thought I, I could give classes. As long as I, you know, I, I can study these these scriptures and quickly gather information, summarize it, uh, condense it, deliver it in a somewhat appealing, palatable way. But and and the devotees who were giving class, some of them, they're, you know, they go Brahman initiation, but they, obviously they weren't, they didn't have the tendencies. So I thought I could do better than that. I can give classes at least to keep people awake. And they said, no, you haven't undergone the purification. You have to actually experience, you know, first you have to become first initiated and then second initiated, and then maybe you qualify to, to give class or, or to cook. I mean, someone may, may come to the movement with the tendency to cook or the skills to cook, but cooking for Krishna is different. You have to cook without tasting anything, without wishing it was for you, or you know, you make something that is for Krishna's pleasure and not for your pleasure. So it's a completely different mindset. So you may have the psycho physical setup already, but you need the purification. You need to undergo purification. So I don't think I don't think it's, that's debatable. You have to someone who is more advanced than you and if you don't think there is anybody more advanced than you then you have a problem with that too so find someone more advanced and ask them you know how could I use this that I have these assets that I think I have and they should be able to help you and if they don't look for someone else because our movement is uh, there's so many good devotees all over to have traveled abroad to many continents and seen many devotees and many communities. And there's so many good devotees all over the place, so many. So it's, uh, it's up to us to use their help to, to feel fallen, to feel, uh, um, you know, compared to these people, I have nothing and I should take help. So let's read a little bit. Anything else?
let's read a little bit about Narottanda Thakur. Um, even before, actually, even before Narottanda Thakur was born, Lord Chaitanya was in uh, Gadeirahat, um, and he was dancing. No, actually, he was in Ramakeli, and he was dancing ecstatically and chanting the holy name with his associates, Lord Nityananda as well. And he just all of a sudden started saying, Narottam, Narottam, Narottam. And everybody surrounding Lord Chaitanya started, they, they were puzzled, they didn't understand, but they were also afflicted by sudden ecstatic symptoms. So they, they couldn't understand what was, what was happening. Uh, and Lord Chaitanya was looking at, towards the village of Shikaturi when he said that. So the devotees concluded that someone would appear in that village. Narottam. Narottam means the best of humans. Uh, Nara means human. Uttama means the best. So Narottam will, will appear. And so they were very happy. Um, and even actually before that, when Lord Chaitanya was in Gararahat and he bathed in the Padma River, Padmavati River, um, he's uh, entering the water, made the water, the, the river, the personified river, Padmavati herself, uh, basically felt overwhelmed by ecstatic love and the water started rising flooded the village and nobody knew what was happening there and then she appeared to Lord Chaitanya in the river and Lord Chaitanya said I want you to save Prema Bhakti for my devotee Narottam when he, he will come and he will bathe here and he will give it to him and she said how am I going to recognize him because the ecstasy that you feel right now is going to increase. So you will definitely recognize Narottam. So Narottam Dasakur was not ordinary. He was born a prince, which is a, a pretty nice start. Uh, and he was absolutely stunningly beautiful. He was tall. He had wavy hair, uh, beautiful, long, lotus-like eyes perfect nose, he, his uh, limbs were perfect, his knees, his feet, everything was totally proportioned, his shoulders were extremely wide, his waist was very thin, like that of a lion, and his arms reached down to his knees while he was standing, and people who saw him, they, they were stunned, they'd never seen such, such a beautiful being before, and Narottam, even though he was born a prince, much like the story of Buddha, who was also born a prince, and um, he was restless because he wanted to find out what life was about, and his parents didn't want him to find out because it makes a poor prince. One who, one who searches for self-realization disqualifies himself as a prince. So Narottam was in the same predicament. And he wanted to leave home. But he was the, the, the life of everybody, the entire village, the parents, the relatives, everybody who saw him felt so compelled by his presence. They felt love. Uh, the, uh, the degree of spiritual fullness that he displayed was so such because he was uh, actually the incarnation of the mercy of Lord Chaitanya. So he wasn't a normal being. And he decided to leave home and go to Vrindavan. Actually, he had dreams where Lord Chaitanya appeared, put his feet on his head and embraced them. And Lord Nityananda embraced them. And and then he heard that some of the associates of Lord Chaitanya had left, um, like Raghunath Bhatta Goswami and Rupa, Rupa Goswami, 
Sanatana Goswami, and he was uh, mortified. Anybody who, anybody who, who, they could see that he was, he was completely overwhelmed. So he said, "I have no business here. Lord Chaitanya told me to go to Vrindavan, so he decided to go to Vrindavan. So he, he escaped, basically, and instead of taking the normal route, he went through the forest, and he met." some people because people live everywhere and anybody he met they, they just they fed him and they, they took care of him and they they, they they were devastated when he left they asked him to stay in their village and to please be their guest forever <coughs> and Narottam said I have a mission I have to go and then eventually he made it to Mathura and, and then uh, he met with Jiva Goswami Swami's disciple Srinivas, I think. Uh, so, uh, but even before they met, he already had this feeling of friendship for Srinivas just by hearing about him. And when they met, um, the, the literature describes that after they met and they embraced, uh, even when they separated, it was hard to tell them. Friendship that they developed immediately on first sight. So this uh, this is Narottam Dasdakur, who eventually, as we know, and we we were fortunate enough to read about the installation of the five sense of deities in Katurigram, uh, the festival, which is incredible. His you know 858. So I don't have time to read that pastime, but we should definitely read it. It's, it's absolutely incredible where Lord Chaitanya and the, the entire Panchatattva that they were already gone from this world showed up during the festival, showed up during Kirtan and were manifested to mostly everyone that were attending the festival. They saw the Panchatattva, they could actually touch them, they could see them dancing amongst them. So this is uh, Narottam Dasakur together with Shivananda Pandit Prabhu and Srinivasacharya, they took the, the scriptures, the Goswami writings to, to Bengal. Uh, there, were, there was an incident, uh, King Birambir, who was a, a thief and a devotee, so there is, there is such a thing, um, stole the scriptures, and, but actually the intention was to meet those who they, he thought they were treasures, they were carrying jewels or gold, things like that. And so he stole because they were guarded uh, in coffers. And the, the, these were the books. So when, when the, these envoys brought back to the palace the coffers, and they opened it up and saw books, they said, well, they must, they must mean something. So, so eventually when Narottam does the There's, there's a lot more to say, but it's, there's no time, so I will stop here. If you want to add any comments or leelas or Mother Nidra, and if you don't. Birambir's whole family. Fallen that the grunt is, you know,
16 Karta players and the Miranga players will play both the Panchatava Mantra and the Maha Mantra of Miranga. You could hear clearly Hare Krishna, Chaitanya and they're <laughs> just playing in, in unison. You know when you hear two Mirangas playing in unison it's pretty ecstatic. Imagine the eight expert players are playing the Panchatava Mantra and the, and the Maha Mantra. So they, they have very ecstatic as far as I know, <coughs> there is a couple of um, teachers in, in Calcutta that they follow the style of Narottam Thakur and when they die, probably that will die with them. So I was I was advised by by a devotee to to go learn learn that, but I have very little capacity to learn anything. So I I said I, I will just continue to do my style. We know, um, of course, this is, is, there is a difference between my style and Indra's style and Vadahari's style and Madhava's style and Narottam Das Thakur's style. There's, we all have our style of Kirtan, but Narottam Das Thakur is channeling Lord Chaitanya himself, so I'm sure he's, he does a much better job. So if someone can learn that, that'd be, that'd be great, but it's, it's, well, it's not not for me. I I don't want to sound like a like a baby, uh, singing, just like uh, we hear sometimes devotees who haven't even been to India and they speak. They try to speak like a Bengali, um, and then ah, uh, we going. You know, just they just basically pick up the accent and the mannerisms, but not the not the depth of it. So uh, I. I thought it would be it would be a good service for someone who is musically inclined and talented and young enough to uh, undergo this, the discipline of learning uh, a style and an instrument to to do to learn this because it may be it may be lost. No, you can still something. Actually, he's, he's quoting Vishwanatha Chakravarti Thakur, who is the one who said that this, these are as good as Vedic, Vedic mm -hmm. yeah. And 
actually was very fond of um, Narutama's Sakura songs. He will break out in bhajan sometimes and sing one of the songs and samsara. Um, was it Kajir? What the songs? Some. Samsara Asana Mura Kavitucha Habe. So he also says that uh, when I shall be free from desires, material enjoyment, it will be possible to see the real nature of Vrindavan. Uh, because the, the, the word tucha means uh, insignificant, important, like get rid of it. When, when will my material desire, my desire, material enjoyment become insignificant? that word tucha tucha means something you just, just discard so you get rid of it so when will we get that so songs even though they are simple they, they carry a profound meaning that is meant to free anyone um, from the clutches of the material because as long as there is attraction for the material world we're going to come back is a good reminder of chanting Narutama's the course. Lucky you. He was actually, he met, when he went to Vrindavan, he did meet Lokanath Goswami, but Lokanath Goswami told Jiva Goswami, who was the one who introduced Narottam to him, he said, you take him and teach him, teach him the, um, the depth of the Vaishnava behavior, more or less, just teach him the scriptures, just train him up. So as, as even, even then, we can see that our our movement is a shiksha movement. Anybody can give instruction and everybody can, and everybody should take care of each other. Not that just, I have my guru, and this is, that's someone else's guru, and he has nothing for me. We, we can take instruction from anybody. All right, we should end here. Thank you, all of you, for your kind dispensation and attention. Go Guru, Shishla Prabhupada.